just, we, we just finished two weeks ago celebrating the Passover Easter celebration, right? We celebrated remembering the passion of Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection. This, this was a singular set of events that literally brought a revolution. I like the way N.T. Wright says it. He said it brought a revolution that changed how we be, are humans, a new way to be human. And we celebrated that together. We, we remember it each year. You know, in, in, and we remember that on the cross, literally the veil, the veil into the Holy of Holies was torn. Uh, the veil into the presence of God uh, became, became torn, and the body and blood of our Lord Jesus is the means by which we're able to go into the presence of God. The writer of Hebrews says this, this is, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. How many know the blood of Jesus have enabled us to enter into the very holy place of God? He says, by a new and living way, he opened up for us the curtain. That is, through his flesh. The body of Jesus has become that curtain. Through Jesus, we can go into the very presence of God. Now, that doesn't seem radical to us because for the last 2,000 years, we've been studying, reading, and teaching about this. But remember, when this occurred, when the writer of Hebrews wrote this, the, the, if you wanted to go to the presence of God, you had to go to Jerusalem. And everything changed. It went from being temple-centric, where the presence of God was in the temple in one place, to all of a sudden, you and I become the temple. Now, I think we've heard that so much and so often, again, we miss how significant that is. Jesus predicts this, right? He says, woman, he's talking to the Samaritan woman, and he says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming and uh, when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But the hour is coming. Notice, the hour is coming when it's no longer about the temple. It's no longer about the mountain. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So literally through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he changed everything. There is a new and living way. There is a way to worship God in spirit and truth that isn't about geography. You become the geography. You see, the thing that's different about Christianity than every other religion, every other way in the world is that we don't go to the temple, we bring the temple with us. Where you put your feet is holy ground, your life is sacred. We literally become a living hope. Listen, this is Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy. It's not something we've done. It's not something we earned. It's the love of God for you and for me and for the world. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. You are a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, it's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, it's kept in heaven for you. By God's power, we're being guarded through faith. There is a salvation that is coming. Jesus is returning, and all of that inheritance is being held by him until that day. He sent the Holy Spirit, and no longer do we go to the temple, we become to the temple. You are God's temple God's spirit dwells in you. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit 
within you, whom you have from God. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So what does all this mean? So what does all this mean? We celebrated that resurrection. We celebrated becoming that, that, that uh, uh, living hope. In a few weeks, we'll be celebrating the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out, that, that, that we actually become that living temple. So what is next after we celebrate? You know, Pastor Terry started it last week. What do we do now? So what do we do? We're going to talk about two things this morning. So what do we do, number one? And number two, we want to solve a mystery. What is your calling? We want to solve a mystery. What is your calling? That's the two things. So what do we do? We solve a mystery. What is your calling? And what do we do? Five times the Great Commission is given to us in the Bible. Five times. Not once, not twice. You know, there's, there's ways that we understand significance in the Scriptures. It's how often something gets repeated. You know, when, when Jesus gives us a command, that should be enough, right? You know, how many, how many when they were growing up, if, you're, if your parent told you once, they didn't really want to have to tell you again? <laughs> but then you hear the parents, if I told you once, I told you a million times. Okay, well, when the Bible repeats it, there's something we should get a hold of. Five times it says this, Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Mark 16, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Luke 24, and that the repentance and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. John chapter 20, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. That's a simple one right there. We can get that one. <laughs> Father sent me, I'm sending you. There it is. That's the Great Commission. I love that video clip that we did for a while. Was there like a, an anointing ceremony somewhere I missed? Jesus goes, this is it. Here it is. And yet, though we have four witnesses, that's not enough. Luke repeats it again in the book of Acts. What does he say? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Has the gospel gone to the end of the earth? It's not done yet. It's not done yet. So who's going to do it? I would, su I would submit to you it's not the Great Commission. It's, it is the Great Commission. It's not the Great Suggestion. So what do we do now? Jesus died for our sins. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus gave us the Great Commission. What do we do? We live out our calling. How many know, and you don't have to raise your hand, you can point at the person next to you and say, how many know you're called? <laughs> how many know you have a calling? I'm just going to show you a few scriptures. We're just going to run through them. Here's just a few scriptures, just a few places. We love this one, right? Here, ready, Romans? How many know Romans 8.28? Probably half of us can quote it together. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. We love that. We love that. All the things we're going through, it's working together for my good. God's doing that. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's the rest of it? For those who are called according to his purpose. Did you know you were called to his purpose? What purpose? Well, we just figured that out five times. 
Romans eleven twenty nine. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Hey guys, you can't give it back. You can't give it back. First Corinthians one twenty six. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. God doesn't care what you think your qualifications are. He doesn't care. Few have the qualifications we sh- we would think would be necessary. Paul tells us. 1 Corinthians 7, 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned him. What? Lead what life? You have been assigned a life by God. That's, I mean, I'm not making that up. I just, God put that in the Bible last week. It wasn't in there last week, but it's in there now. And to which God has, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches, in case you think Paul was just saying that's in one place to one person. Ephesians 4, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul doesn't say, hey, if you have a call, Paul says you all have a call, now walk in it. 2 Thessalonians 1.1, 1, 1, to this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling may, and, may fulfill every re, and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. 2 Timothy 1.9, who has call, saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Jesus Christ before the ages began. You see, this wasn't something new. This wasn't something that was just the result Jesus came up with. They weren't telling us these five times just in the New Testament. This was God's plan from the beginning. From the beginning. Therefore, Peter says, Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election so if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. There's no such thing as a sideline Christian. If you're a Christian, then you're called by God to be involved in the Great Commission, period. There's no option. If you say you're a Christian, if you claim to be a Christian, you are called by God to be involved in the Great Commission, period. And I didn't even cover all of them. So, We're going to solve a mystery. How do we discern our calling? How do we discern our calling? Now, when detectives are solving a mystery, they call through their list of suspects. They have a list of suspects, and they ask themselves three questions. Who has motive, means, and opportunity? And if we can marry a suspect to motive, means, and opportunity, we've got our culprit. If we can prove this suspect had motive, had means, and opportunity. Motive, what? The reason the suspect committed the crime means the ability the suspect had to commit the crime and opportunity the chance the suspect had to commit the crime you put those three things together and we've we've got our person well what i'm going to do is i'm going to treat our calling like a mystery to be solved okay and suppose we think of our, our calling that way suppose we repurpose these questions to discover the mystery of our calling because people i don't know what i'm called to well how would we discover that well why don't we look at motive means and opportunity in our life for the gospel 
Okay? So number one, motive. What is our passion? Do we have God's heart? Are we motivated by what motivates God? What evil in the world motivates us to want to see it changed? Number two, means. What abilities do we have to bring change? What gifts, talents, resources do we have to bring change around us that God has given us that we already have? And number three, what opportunities are right in front of us? The Bible says, look unto the field, it is white unto harvest. It doesn't say there's not enough harvest, go figure it out. It says it's plentiful, all we need is workers. All we need is workers. What opportunities are in front of us? Where have you been planted? What opportunities can you create? So, number one motive, do you have the heart of God? This is quoted from, um, from this book here, Why Revival Tarries. I, I recommend you get this book because, see here's, and we'll talk about this later, but here's one of the ways you develop the heart of God. You read books and put yourself in places where other people have the heart of God. And I promise you, if you have the spirit of God, it'll wear, it'll wear off on you. You'll develop the heart of God. But listen to this passage from this book here. Charlie Pierce, he was a criminal. The law of God and the law of man did not curb him. The law finally caught up to him and he was condemned to death. On a fatal morning, he was in Armley Jail in Leeds, England. He was taken on that death walk. Before him went the prison chaplain. And he was routinely and sleepily reading some Bible verses. Charlie touched the preacher and asked, what are you reading? Preacher says the consolations of religion. Charlie was shocked at the way he professionally read about hell. Could a man be so unmoved under the very shadow of the scaffold as to lead a fellow human there and yet dry eyed read of a pit that has no bottom into which this fellow must fall? Be that callous? Could this preacher believe the words? that there is an eternal fire that never consumes its victims and yet slide over the phrase with a tremor? Is a man human at all who can say with no tears you will be eternally dying and yet never know the relief death brings? All this was too much for Charlie, so he preached. This is what he said. This was his on the eve of hell sermon. Sir, Charlie said, talking to the preacher. If I believe what you and the church of God say that you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it, if need be, on hands and knees, and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul from that eternal hell. Do you have the heart of God? I want you to picture Peter. He knows his time's up. He's writing a letter. He's writing this to you. This is the second letter I'm writing to you, my beloved. In both my letters, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. You should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, scoffers are going to come in the last days scoffing following their own sinful desires. What are they going to say? 
Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all these things are continuing as though they were from the beginning of creation. But they deliberately overlook something. The heavens long ago in the earth was formed out of water, through the water, by the word of God. And by that means, by the means that this world that came into existence was deluged with a flood and perished. God judged it before. He's going to do it again. They forget this. They ignore this. It's convenient. And by that same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist, they're stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Don't overlook this fact, my loved ones. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. You get that heart of his? He's not slow to keep his promise. He's patient. He's long-suffering. He doesn't wish that any should perish but that each should come to repentance. But that day, that day of the Lord, it's going to come. It's going to be like a thief and the heavens will pass away with the roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and they will be dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are going to be dissolved, what kind of people ought you to be in living your lives? Holy? Godly? Waiting for it? Hastening it. You actually hasten the day that this happens. That day because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. The heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we're waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Many of us have the heart of God. of us have his heart. And how do we take that heart? What is our motive? How do we take that heart and apply it to the things we care about? What do I mean by that? John says this, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil's been sinning from the beginning. But the reason the Son of God appeared, the reason Jesus came, he came to what? To destroy the works of the devil. Well, if Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, then that's why we're here destroy the works of the devil. So let me ask you. What, this is, okay, so there was a um, Sam Harris and Chris Voss. Sam, Sam Harris, a famous a philosopher, atheist. Chris Voss, the FBI negotiator. And they were having this kind of debate on the internet. And Sam Harris says, you know, everything we do, we do based on reason. Humankind, humankind everything we do based on reason. Chris Voss, the FBI negotiator, says, no, that's not true. He says, you do what you do because, you, because of what you care about. That's why you do what you do. What you value, that's why you do what you do. Well, let me ask you, what do you value? I'm going to tell you, if you understand what you value, it gives you a clue of what God is using to call you. When you look in the world around you and you see evil around you, what burns you up? What makes you angry? What do you say, Lord, change that? What is it where you see darkness, you want to bring light? What is it where you see death, you want to bring life? What is it where you see despair, where you see fear, where you see hatred, you want to bring love? That's a clue to your calling. That's the heart of God. Let me give you a list of a few things. 
And I do these by way of reminder. What moves you emotionally? And I'm giving you this list because somewhere in this list, I'm praying that somewhere in this list, something triggers and you say, yes, I want the gospel there. And you will begin to discover the motive of your calling. Addictions? Athletics? Care for creation? Disabilities? The displaced? The elderly? The sick? Ethnic specific issues? Families? Foster children? Adoption? Building homes? Homes? International ministry? Reaching the LGBT community? The military, politics, poverty, prison, professionals, the sex industry, the arts, the youth. You see, as a church, we can't do all those ministries. But as a church, we can. What's your passion? What is it you're saying? Somebody should do something about that. Yeah. Your motive. Do you have the heart of God? Charles Spurgeon said it this way. If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap over leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, Let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. You have the heart of God. How do you get it? Spend time in his presence. Read his word. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. I would tell you one other thing. Do a fierce moral inventory of your own life. Do it with a brother or sister that you trust. Get books that talk about that, that where people have that heart that will burn in you. There's there's biographies on Netflix and, and Amazon. There's there's videos you can watch. There's that we just watched a documentary uh, not too long ago here in the church. The the insanity of God. Listen, do whatever it takes to get the heart of God, because once you are moved, then you will do. Number two means. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, what's interesting is when we read that, we might get the word might there, and we might think that means I go like, mm, I got a strain to love God, right? Well, sometimes it feels like that, right? That's not what it means. What it means is literally with every, all of your substance, everything you have, all of your earthly goods, your, all, uh, all of your uh, um, Im- material goods and immaterial goods. That's all of your might, your position, everything about you. Use that to love God. That's what that means. Okay, and so there are two types of means uh, I would submit to you that we have. We have spiritual means and natural means. The spiritual means are what? These are means that are granted to us and given to us by the Spirit. 
Some of them are temporary. Some of them are permanent. And it says this, and we've just spent several weeks studying how to to, uh, have the gifts of the Spirit in our life on Wednesday nights. Uh, It says there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's a variety of service, but the same Lord. There's a variety of activities. It is the same God who empowers them at all. Now catch this. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. One one has the spirit of wisdom, one has the uh, uh, utterance of knowledge, one has faith, one has healing, one has miracles, one has prophecy, one is able to distinguish between spirits, one has various kinds of tongues, uh, one interpretation of tongues. Here's the point. All are empowered. Does it say some? All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who appoints to each one. Does it say some? As he wills. Paul writes again in Romans, you all have different gifts according to the grace given to you. Use them. Prophecy, sir, uh, of faith, service, teaching, exhortation, con- contributing, generosity, leading, zeal, uh, mercy, cheerfulness. The Holy Spirit desires to equip us. It's not a lack on the part of the Holy Spirit. The question is, is whether or not we're seeking the Holy Spirit for the gifts he wants to give us. Now, that's one. We talked about spiritual. The second means that we have are natural. And we've gone, uh, many of you are familiar with these things, and we've talked about them multiple times. Your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your personality. Not all of us are going to do that. We're, we're wired differently. Your training, your resources, all these things. Now, I would suggest, I'm going to just mention this. Make a list. Make an actual list and marry that list to what motivates you. Find out what motivates you and then marry that to what motivates you, those two together, and and write it down. There's tests out there. You can test all these things. But I want to give you another another, uh, uh, combination here. This is from the book, The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts by Sam Storm. This is what I would submit to you. You can use your natural abilities to discover your spiritual abilities. You can use your natural abilities to discover your spiritual abilities. Again, I'm going to say, this is a quote. This is from, uh, from that, the, the book. Those who have been here on Wednesday nights will be familiar with this. Check this. this next time you're in church, you're in a small group, or you're just hanging around with other believers, pause for a moment and ask yourself a question. And I would submit to you, you don't have to make it about believers, just the next time you're around people, the next time you're around people, pause for a moment. Is anyone physically hurt or suffering from chronic pain? If so, take your hands out of your pockets and lay them on your brother or sister and pray for God's healing. Is anyone you know distraught or discouraged? Are some finding life too frustrating to bear? If so, take them out for a cup of coffee and listen to their story. You don't have to theologize about their predicament. They're not looking for explanations. They want someone who cares enough to spend a few minutes with them. To listen to them. Love them. Is anyone struggling financially with few prospects to get them out of the, the hole? Do something courageous. Give them your last 50 bucks and trust God to supply you. Do you know people who are confused about some verse of scripture that they just read in their devotional time? Perhaps you just as befuddled about it as they are. All right, pull out a concordance. Study a little bit. Maybe a commentary. Go to the church library. Then sit down with them, put your heads and your hearts together, and pray for the Holy Spirit to give you insight. Is anyone struggling with sin? Well, of course they are. 
Offer to pray for them. But before you do, sit quietly together and ask the Lord to guide your thoughts and speak words of wisdom to your own soul. If you sense something or a thought comes to your mind, share it with them. It might be the key that opens the door to their heart and brings freedom from bondage. Does does the person you just prayed for report hearing voices in their head? Does this person struggle with paralyzing shame, virtually bombarded on a daily basis by accusing thoughts and self-contempt? Can I tell you that is rampant in the world? If so, speak the word of God over him with, or her with authority. And in the name of Christ, command any demonic spirits to leave and never return. Pray for this person to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. Do you know anybody overwhelmed by clutter in their garage that's always increasing a mountain of dirty laundry? Somebody saying amen? Spend a Saturday with them. Help them out. Pick up, wash, dry, fold, put away clothes. None of this sounds especially spectacular. Or does it? So what are we getting at? Simply this. If we spend less time searching to identify our spiritual gifts and more time actually praying, giving, helping, teaching, serving, and exhorting those around us, the likelihood greatly increases that we'll actually walk headlong into the gifting without ever knowing about it. So look for a need, find a hurt and heal it, be alert to cry for help and answer it. Listen for the voice of God and speak it. Identify somebody's weakness and overcome it. Look for what's missing and supply it. When you do the power of God, the energizing, enabling, charismatic activity of the Holy Spirit will equip you. Maybe once, maybe forever, but you'll be bringing hope and encouragement. What's the point? When you begin to act in the natural, God will empower you in the spirit. We don't sit around, listen, The reason why we have the book of Corinthians is because they didn't sit around and wait to act. They just started doing. They started doing. And Paul's like, oh, now we got to kind of fix this and get it in order. We wouldn't even have the instructions if they weren't just out there. Hey, we got this. Let's go do it. And Paul's like, okay, okay, that's good, good, good. And then what did he say? Don't stop. Don't stop. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. But let's just do it this way. Would that we had those kinds of instructions. The last one is opportunity. 1 Corinthians 7.17, only let each person lead the life that God has assigned to him and to which God has called him. God's assigned you opportunities already. There's two kinds of opportunities. There's two kinds. One is right where he's placed you. You have family, friends, neighbors, organizations, activities, workplace, all of those things right where he's placed you. That's an opportunity. That's an opportunity. Why? Because there's people there. Where there's people, there's an opportunity. Henry Blackaby uh, would talk once a month with uh, top business leaders, Christian business leaders in the countries. And these were people that were running firms that, you know, were, were hundreds of millions of dollars, these huge, large firms. He was talking with them in a coaching uh, once a month. Uh, he would get on the phone with them and talk. And uh, he told them, he said, listen, guys, before you start your day, you need to be on your knees asking God for the Holy Spirit to lead you through your day. And one of them says, 
Henry, you have no idea how busy I am. You have no idea how much I have to get done in the day. And Henry says to him, and you really think you want to face all that without God? So he took the next 30 days, and every morning got up early, even earlier than before, and gave his day to God and asked God to lead him, asked God to direct him. And he got back on the phone 30 days later with Henry. He says, Henry, in all of the years I've been in business, in all of the years I've done this, I've never led another person to Christ, and now I have. And now I have. There are opportunities around you. Number two is life experiences. We have all gone through difficulties in life, either personally or we've been with a loved one it has. And we have a way that those things have affected us, that we know how that we can bring the love of God to those situations and circumstances. Those are opportunities. People have gone through things. Your loneliest moments, your most despairing moments, your most difficult moments, those are opportunities to bring the light, life, and love of Jesus to others. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction. So objections, just a few objections, and we'll close with this. But, but, Pastor Mark, I'm not an evangelist. Can you pray? You can't pray for somebody? You can't bring them before God? Can you invite? Can you love someone? Can you act in love? Can you be kind to them? Are you willing to get a little bit of training? Maybe to learn what to say in in hard and difficult circumstances? But 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 you don't understand, I'm not good with words. Um neither was Moses. Neither was Moses. God said to Moses, I have a great commission for you. Moses said, no, you got the wrong one. I'm not good with words. He said, no, I didn't make a mistake. You know, Apostle Paul wrote that as well. The one we think is the most amazing with words. He says, you know, people when I'm there in front of them think that I'm not much with words. Check it out. He says, but what you think, what you see is not much with words is actually big with action. Can you be kind? Can you be good with caring? Even better, can you be good with listening? It's not my calling. It's not my calling. Okay, then what is your calling? Because we're all called, and there's only one great commission. Then what is your calling? There's only one great commission. It won't be necessary, you won't necessarily look like somebody else. Don't try to be somebody else. You don't have their resources, their talents, their gifts, their abilities. You don't have all that. But there's no excuse not to discover yours. There's no excuse not to discover yours. To solve the mystery, what's next? 
Solve the mystery. Discover your calling. What motivates you? What means has God given you? What opportunities are right in front of you? Thank you.